is trending downwards. And in some demographics, some age brackets especially, it is not just uh, trending down, it is in an absolute freefall. But while there has been a most recent and over the last few decades a declining of a belief in God, that has already taken place about the devil for many years. A genuine Bible-based knowledge of Satan has been diminishing for decades. In fact, uh, Andrew Del Banco wrote a book uh, about this very declining belief. And uh, the title is uh, very uh, interesting. The title is The Death of Satan, meaning kind of drawing upon that, what was it, Newsweek article so many decades ago that said God is dead. Well, this is a declining view of the devil. In that book, he note that uh, 62% of Americans uh, say that the devil, just like hell, is not literal, but more symbolic. It is uh, a symbol of evil. Now, it doesn't really surprise me <laughs> that, the, that the world doesn't want to think about the devil. It doesn't surprise me that the world doesn't want to think about hell, does it? I mean, that doesn't surprise me one bit. What does surprise me is this next statistic. George Barna uh, did a study, and he, as you know, does many studies with the, uh, with the Christian, whatever slice that is, but the Christian world. They found that 40%, 4 out of 10, strongly agreed with this statement. Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. 40% of the Christians believe that, strongly uh, believe that the devil is just a symbol. And an additional 19% say they agree somewhat. So almost exactly the same. 60% basically of Christians say the devil's not real. Now folks, the devil has been very successful at getting people's mind all mixed up about this. For many, Satan is no more than a medieval myth, you know, and especially if you go to some college around here, going down here to University of Pacific and go to the theological department and they will just tell you, oh yeah, that comes from the middle evil ages, you know, and the Catholics used to try to scare people and, you know, Dante's Inferno kind of stuff. I will tell you folks, uh, people are so mixed up about hell and about the devil. And of course, Hollywood just adds to that. I mean, the scariest movies that come out of Hollywood are always about Satan, you know, about demons and possession and exorcism and things like that. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, never be scared of a demon, ever. Never be scared of the devil. Never be scared of the evil power. Never. Now, a healthy respect for his power, yes, but scared, absolutely not. After, I remember several years ago, uh, Sarah Palin, you know, was the governor of Alaska, and she was a pretty tough gal there, you know, and they asked her, they said, you know, living in Alaska, I mean, does it scare you, all those uh, bears and everything? And she looked at that reporter and said, those grizzlies better be scared of me. And, uh, you know, and after listening to her a few times, I, yeah, I'm scared of that woman, I'll tell you right now, but, um, but you know, that's what I want to say about the devil, he's scared of me, I'm not scared of him. Well, what does the Bible say? Resist the devil and nothing happens. No, it says all you got to do is resist the devil and he'll flee. And uh, that resisting, I've, I'm convinced that the resisting takes place when we obey Scripture. 
because the devil can never contradict the fact that I'm obeying God. When I obey God, he's, he's done. He's toast. If I will re- obey God, then he cannot have any place in my life. And so, well, we're going to talk about the devil. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about God's omnipotence. Now, we need to know this, that the devil is not omnipotent. Now, he's very powerful. Uh, he's super powerful, but he is not all-powerful. And while we're on the subject of those uh, attributes of God, the devil is not omnipresent. Now, he may, by the use of his little dastardly demons, he might be able to affect uh, so many different people, but he can only be in one place at one time. And I don't know that any of us uh, warrant the big guy. You know, most of us, uh, we're uh, low on the totem pole. We get demons after us, but I tell you what, even one demon can sure uh, run havoc in our life or our children's life or our loved one's lives. And so the devil is not omnipresent. He is also not omniscient. Now, he knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. And so I am grateful today to know that God is omnipotent. He's unstoppable. The devil is not unstoppable. God is unstoppable. The devil is not unstoppable. We can stop him, and we can stop him in his tracks. And so that's the, this morning's message, that by God's grace, we're going we're gonna to fight the devil today, and we're going to find out how to do that. Let's bow for prayer. Father, bless us today. God, thank you for this word, and I am so thrilled, Lord, to be able to share this. Uh, Lord, four decades plus of being able to uh, sometimes lose, and thank God, sometimes get the victory. But Lord, I thank you that through your word, I know what it takes to get the victory. God, let me share that with these precious saints, both here and those that are listening by the airwaves. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's follow along for just a few moments, a little bit of introduction here to get us to, you can, if you want to get a, a little preview, you can go to Matthew chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment. God's plan is to redeem mankind. The devil did a real good job 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden and sold a bill of goods to Eve and to Adam, and they blew it. Our grandparents, all of our grandparents, there's no different races, folks. There's just one race, the human race. We're all related. We all go back to Adam and Eve. And that alone ought to give us a little bit of love for each other, despite the fact of different colors and different features. You know, we're all, we all go back to the same place. Our grandparents blew it. When they did, they lost their dominion. And it's God's plan that we have dominion. So God made a plan. God made a plan that we could get that dominion back. That required that God would come into the world in the form of a man, in the form of a human, and physically win back the world and give us our dominion. That would require one who was both God and man together. That union, that amazing, just unbelievable, uh, unfathomable union is uh, what really the book of Matthew really focuses on. Brother Matthew says, folks, he's talking mainly to the Jewish people, we have a Messiah. 
You don't have to be looking anyplace else. We have a Messiah. He has fulfilled every promise, and you can be sure that everything the Bible has required, He's done it. Look at His genealogy, and Matthew starts with the great genealogy of Christ, going all the way back, and so reminding us that He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and as a result of that, He has redeemed mankind. The good thing about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we sang a few moments ago, crown him because he's alive. We don't crown him because he's a dead prophet. We crown him because he's a living Savior. And that's why I crown him Lord of every Lord and King of every King and God above every God. And so, because he rose from the dead, he then won back and he has set the redemption of this world in order. I mentioned last week how that this world is so crazy. I mean, these climate people, they just want you to think that mankind can bring a utopia. Are you kidding me? We, 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 most of those same people can't even balance their checkbook. And they're going to they're gonna bring, you know, all this uh, wonderful climate, good climate to the world. I promise you, only God redeems nature. God is the redeemer of creation. And when he redeemed mankind, part of that was the redemption of nature itself. He gave us dominion over this world. And that's why mankind is over the animals. He was the crowning creation of God. And in that dominion, now listen, in that dominion, he gave us dominion over every evil work, every demon, every darkness. And so that's why Jesus came. In fact, uh, look at 1 John chapter 3, and if you put it there on the overhead, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. We have a Messiah who who lived a perfect life, he died and rose again, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, we know that that destruction has been set in motion. Now, the ultimate fruition of that, agreed, it's yet to come. But we see, we see that destruction of the devil's kingdom week by week. We watch as people get born again. Nearly every Sunday, someone will pray the sinner's prayer around here, one place or children's department or out somewhere. And every time that happens, we show that we have victory over the kingdom, the works of the devil. He can't keep a person from getting saved. He can't. Because if they will believe, God will save them. In a a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, wonderful church like this, then we are seeing the works of the devil be destroyed. We see good homes. We see strong marriages. We see children growing up, serving the Lord. And so when we see that, we see the kingdom of God in our midst. That's why God said the kingdom of God is not what you think. It's not these big palaces and gold little crowns. It's love and peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Ghost. Every time you see that manifested, Thank God that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Every time you have a pleasant relationship with your wife or your husband, every time you see something righteous done, that is God displaying his power over the devil. Now, here's what's going to happen. The next thing that's going to happen is Jesus is going to show up. 
He is going to take his church uh, with him to heaven. There'll be a seven-year time of tribulation. Then uh, God is going to come back and judge this earth. And when he does, he will set up a thousand-year millennium. The devil will be cast into a pit for a thousand years. And why can he do that? Because he's Lord over the devil. And that devil has no say in that. And then he'll be released. And then God will, uh, ultimately, he will give us a new heaven and a new earth. And so all of that reminds us that God came into this world to bring about the kingdom of God that which, would, which would destroy the works of Satan. That's why Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 11, verse 12, if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, notice it's just a little finger, with, my, with God's little finger, he just gets rid of devils, no doubt then the kingdom of God is come upon you. And so a mark of the kingdom, a mark of the fact that we have Christ in us is that we have power over the devil. Anytime I do something righteous, anytime I do something holy, anytime I do something good, all glory goes to the fact that Jesus broke the bondage of Satan in this earth. And we don't have to sin. People say, well, I'm born that way. You may be born with certain feelings in your heart, but I will tell you, you don't have to let the devil win. It doesn't, you don't have to because Jesus broke the back of that when he came and then he, was rose, he rose again. He brought the kingdom of God. He cast out devil as it says. All right. So now that sets up what we're talking about. And that is that God is over every demon. The, very, the whole scripture points to that. And this story, now we've been going through Matthew 8, we'll be going through Matthew 9. Jesus has victory over disease. He has victory over darkness. And today he has victory over the devil, over demons. Now let's remind ourselves of where we are. He had been in Capernaum on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, about the size of Lake Tahoe. He has uh, ministering there. Uh, things kind of get out of hand. Uh, he's not able to minister effectively. He gets on a boat with a small flotilla of other boats. They're about 30 foot long, 8 foot wide. They have places for four rowers. They have a sail there. They're small boats, flat bottom boats uh, joined together with little uh, mortise and tenon bottoms and a lot of times cedar. And they found one of those. Uh, and so the, imagine now they're floating, they're floating the small group of boats, four or five or six, maybe more uh, boats are going across. They're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. All of a sudden, one of those big old giant uh, uh, storms that comes over Mount uh, um, Hermon comes over there at the top, comes down, busting down the side of that mountain, and that cold air hits that warm water, and I mean to tell you, it's just a huge mess. It can be waves five, ten feet. There's even records of 30 feet high waves out in the middle of Sea of Galilee. It is below sea level. It is an amazing place. They, he calms the sea by one word. He just calms it. It's like a calm. And uh, they're still all amazed at what happens, so they continue to float. It's the middle of the night. They continue to float. They come down to the southeastern uh, side, and they come to an area called Gadarenes, as we're going to see here. And so now, let's go to verse 28, and let's read it out loud. Let's read through uh, verse number 
34 together, all right? Ready? Begin. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. The Gergesenes in the area really uh, known as, uh, populated by a people known as the Gergeshites. You'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 1. God says, when the Lord God shall bring thee into land which thou goest to possess it, hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, oh, those Hittites, they are a very prominent domineering tribe, come from uh, Southeast Asia. In fact, some have even indicated they might have uh, Asia-like features, the Hittites and the Girgashites. And so these were, these, they were sister countries or areas. They were definitely uh, pagan nations. And so uh, even though it was a pagan nation, Jesus went out there to preach to them. He was sent to the Israel, and yet he still preached to this wonderful Gentile people. Because, as we'll see, this is a divine appointment. And so they're coming to the shore. And now let's see three parts to Jesus' victory over the demons. Number one, notice the miserable condition of the victim. The miserable condition of the victim. Number one, they were distressed, verse 28, and there met him too, possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, possessed with devils. Now, if you were to read the Greek text, you would find when it says possessed with devils, that's actually just one word. Even though the English translators gave it to us in three, it just is the word uh, demoned, or uh, it's, a, it's a big uh, Greek word there, but it just means uh, demoned or demonized, and that is actually a very good terminology. Now, some people have been quick to point out, good people, evangelical scholars have been quick to point out the fact that for Christians, a believer can never be possessed by the devil. And I would agree with that. We cannot be owned by the devil because Jesus owns me. I am saved by his blood. But while they cannot be possessed, they can certainly be oppressed. And while I think that is actually a, a true statement, actually the most uh, clear biblical way to say it is demonized. And so whether a demon is sitting on your shoulder, not possessing you, just oppressing you and talking in your ear, or whether he is inside of us, just making us think all kinds of things, I don't know that the practical, theologically, probably it's true what I mentioned, but practically, I think it really comes out the same way. It presents itself much the same way. And notice for sure, they affect us 
physically and mentally and in so many different areas, they can uh, present to us a seemingly uh, overwhelming um, uh, allurement that I just simply cannot break or an emotional, oppressive, a suicide a type of concept. And so uh, they can bring about disease uh, for some reason. They're able to do that. For, you may remote call Paul saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7 that a messenger of Satan or a demon was allowed to buffet him. And so, and of course, we know that there is certainly a satanic connection to all disease because there was no disease until sin came into this world. And that's why oftentimes when you feel sick, you also feel very depressed because the devil is just working on you and uh, he's working on your spirit. And I, uh, the times I've, some of the best times I've ever had with the Lord and some of the deepest, most depressing times I've ever had is when I was sick. And you realize that this is a result of sin in this world. And so, but Jesus came to, to break that. And so uh, he, he, uh, affects the mind. He affects the body. And he also affects the emotions, even the spirit. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says that in the latter days, there will be doctrines of demons. And the church uh, attracts these doctrine of demons. And so oftentimes the devil comes in and tries to distract people from the main thing and can fuse and uh, to uh, just emasculate God's people. But in fact, we need to be able to say, no, let's go forward with this and let's get past this, this doctrine of demons. And they can be very powerful. If a sister passage or a parallel passage to this is in Mark chapter 5, verse number 9, this is the place where the Bible says that this demon answered through the very vocal cords of this man. He overtook the vocal cords and he answered Jesus and he said, uh, my name is Legion for we are many. A legion is a thousand. So this guy had a thousand demons and because they don't have physical form, their spirit, they can be more than one in one person. And so these demons, one of them apparently was the spokesman, was able to take over the vocal cords of this man and this man didn't even really know what he was saying. And I can tell you, I have actually been around some situations where I was absolutely convinced that a demon was doing the talking. And as strange as it might seem, uh, a few times over the years, that came uh, from the, the voice of a Christian who, ruthless and bitter and proud and uh, vindictive and angry and, uh, oh, I can remember this one particular situation where I was praying, we, I had, had to I'd had to, uh, um, to, uh, to share with a, a lady and her husband about a situation and had to limit uh, something. And so uh, after we had talked, and they weren't really happy, but after uh, we finished talking, as I do, I said, let's have a word of prayer. And so I was praying. And in the middle of my prayer, when I said, and I, I just proclaimed Jesus that you are Lord, when I said that, this lady started cussing, I'm telling you, the most vile, wicked. I mean, I mean, it blew me away. I was praying, and she started cussing. This was a lady in our church. Started cursing me, cursing me. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And so, of 
course, I finished that prayer. Thank the Lord I got out of there with my skin, you know. But, uh, but I will tell you, I, I, don't, I believe absolutely some demon had just reached up there, grabbed her vocal cords, and was just so upset that, she, that they would be restrained from their deeds and that they would be restrained and that, that, that we would proclaim Jesus was Lord over all of this. And that's exactly what happened here. As we'll see in a few moments, this guy was... These demons were very religious, uh, but it says that they were, those were 28, they were living in tombs. They were living in a cemetery. Now, folks, I, I'm, I'm grateful for cemeteries. They're uh, a lot of times very nicely well kept, but I will tell you, I don't like going to cemeteries at nighttime. I don't know what it is. I know there's nothing really about it anymore, but it's just kind of creepy to me. And can you imagine living in a cemetery, these natural uh, cliff-like walls there in the Gergesenes area, the Gadara, uh, Gadara area. They, would, they were made for very natural tombs. It wasn't easy to access them. So they would make them for tombs, mausoleums, basically. And so, but have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how often this world is just obsessed with death and with bones and with skulls and you know, these bikers and a lot of the tattoos and a lot of the stuff going on, stuff comes from Hollywood. You know, uh, it's, it doesn't surprise me that a demonized person is living with the dead in the cemetery. They just kind of seem obsessed with that. Well, it, they were very definitely distressed. Now, number two, they were disruptive. Notice what it says in that verse, exceeding fierce, 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 just hateful. Folks, I'm telling you what, the demons are fierce. And sometimes we hear some of the rhetoric coming out of the mouth of folks and their, their eyeballs just, you know, looking at you. You know, man, I'm telling you what, they are the fierce, fierce people. The things we've seen in 2020 with all the so-called demonstrations, the really, for the most part, just riots. I mean, it is just fierce, just so much so. And in, in fact, if you look at the passage in Mark chapter 5, they tried even putting chains on these guys, and they broke them like, just like they were nothing. They were strong. And um, if you look chapter 8, uh, we see <laughs> these guys were naked, uh, at least. Uh, maybe they were half naked. They just hardly had anything on. So I want you to, I want you to get the, uh, the view here. And it says, in, back in Matthew chapter 8, it says, Behold, they cried out. The word cried out there is the word kratzo. It means like a cry of a raven. So they're shrieking like a, like a crazy, crazed raven. They're half naked. It also says in the book of Mark that they cut themselves. So they're bleeding. They're bleeding. They're coming running down the hill, screaming. They have maybe chains hanging on them. Their hair's all a mess. Half naked. Folks, I want to tell you something. That is no place I want to be right there. But Jesus went there. He went right where they were. In fact, they were so fierce, the Bible says, that no man would pass by. But that's where Jesus went. Aren't you glad Jesus goes to the crazy people? Hallelujah. Thank God. I'm one of those that he goes to. I can remember having a bus route down in East L.A. many years ago, over four decades ago now. But in East L.A., where all the gangs were, I had a bus route. And uh, you can only imagine this little skinny, back then, little skinny uh, 
tow-headed uh, white boy. If I used to have freckles on my nose and, and uh, walking around, knocking on doors there. I was, the, I mean, I was the only light-skinned little person for miles in East L.A. And I remember one time the, the uh, police officers uh, saw me there and they, they pulled me over and said, what in the world did you do? Because I was going door to door, you know. And they said, what in the world are you doing, son? And I said, I'm bus calling. I'm trying to build a bus out here. And we'd ship them 45 minutes over to Pomona and go to church. And they said, what is that? I said, well, we're taking the church. I, they said, where? I said, in Pomona. They said, Pomona? You're taking people from L.A. over here? What are you doing? They said, I said, well, we're trying to reach them for the Lord. And they said, man, you're crazy. And uh, the gang members there in East L.A. called me Richie Cunningham. And... Uh, a lot of people don't know who that is, but that's back from the happy days, you know, a little. But uh, so, but, and, but I will never forget that policeman. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you this. He said, all I'd say is when it gets dark, get out because we won't, we don't respond to calls after dark. I said, what? And uh, he said, but I was a crazy person and I would, my, my, my goal was to make calls till nine o'clock. I wouldn't make any call after nine. And uh, so, uh, but now, why would I go to that crazy place? Because they needed Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. Why would Jesus go to the maniac of the Gadarenes? Because they needed Jesus. And that's where we got to go. We got to go where they are. In a miserable condition. They were distressed. They were disruptive. And number three, they were disbelieving. Look at verse 29. What they behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Now, there was no mistaken, these demons knew Jesus. They knew Jesus. They were very acquainted with the Godhead. These were not unbelieving. They, they, were uns- they couldn't be saved, but I'll tell you one thing. They knew who they were dealing with. These demons knew exactly because demons are former angels. They at one time submitted to Jesus Christ, and now they, and so they very well know him. Notice what it says. What have we to do with thee? Jesus, Son of God, meaning you are God. Why are you here? This is too early. Why are you coming to judge us now? We know we're going to be judged, but, and notice what it says, Jesus, thou Son of God. And they were, uh, as we look through these demons, they were very acquainted with Jesus as God. They even new eschatology, they said, there's a judgment coming. These were former angels, and so they were very religious. You know, people are often surprised how uh, religion shrouds demonism. You maybe have driven by or walked by someplace, and you see some very nice-looking people with uh, holding Bibles and having little racks, and they talk about have a Bible study. They're called uh, JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses. Unfortunately, the Jehovah that they witness about is not the Jehovah of Scripture, because the Jehovah of Scripture is none other than Jesus Christ. He is our covenant Lord. And uh, now, but boy, I tell you one thing, if you're not careful, they'll snag you, because they're, they're, and the demons are religious. You've all heard of C.S. Lewis, the great uh, English writer, great uh, uh, writer of so many different religious things, but in his allegory, the screw tape labors, letters. He imagined a, an account of a senior devil uh, 
talking to his fellow tempters, and look what he says. He says, ah, religion can send us the truly delicious sins. The fine flower of unholiness can grow only in the neighborhood of the holy. Nowhere do we tempt more successfully on the very steps of the altar. <laughs> yeah, sneaky. We're going we're gonna to most catch that person right next to the altar. And so they say, thou son of God, why are you trying to torment us? Notice what it says, before the time. <laughs> not only were these demons religious, not only are they former angels, and not only do they recognize Jesus as deity, but they said before the time. They were acquainted with eschatology. These were premillennial demons. These are pre-tribulational demons. They knew that, hey, the judgment isn't until after the millennium. You're coming way too early. But uh, I, I love it here. Jesus said, and notice what it says, you're coming to torment us? And that's what they think. They, uh, isn't that something that people feel like Jesus is here to torment them? Isn't that crazy? The thing that Jesus wants most is to help us and to love us and to bless us. And yet people say, when he comes, you're just there to torment us. And I will tell you, dancing with demons will never end well. You meet someone who is afraid of God and afraid of Jesus, that's not going to end well. And that's what I want to ask a lot of these folks. I say, you know, I know you got your life. I know you got your little things you do. I know you're happy with what your, your belief system, but... You're dancing with demons. I'm not sure how this dance is going to end. It can't end well. I mean, it can't. It cannot end well with that kind of philosophy. It, it can't. Where is you going to go with that? You meet somebody that says, I'm not into God. I'm not into religion. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. The end of that is a terrible end. And so the terrible, miserable condition of the victim. Number two, the vulnerable condition of the victimizer. I'm glad to tell you this morning that the devil, the victimizer, is vulnerable. Look at verse 30. And there was a good way off from the herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, Jesus that is, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away to the herd of swine. Notice, first of all, they admitted to Satan's plan. When you cast us out... I know you're going to cast us out because you don't like what we're doing. You don't like the fact that we've made these guys not want God. You don't like the fact that we have uh, put it into their mind to resist anything good or godly. And so they say, let us go into the pigs. Isn't that something? These demons would rather live with pigs than they would to, uh, to, to submit to God. And, of course, here they are. They, uh, their goal is to hurt anything. Sometimes people say, why would, why would demons want to go into the herd of pigs? Well, remember, Satan's goal is in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, Satan, cometh not but for one reason, to steal, to kill, and destroy. If the devil will steal something, he will. If he can kill something, he will. If he can destroy something, he will destroy it. And so if these demons can't destroy the men's body, their health, their relationships, then they'll destroy their money. These people had a herd of swine. We're talking thousands, perhaps, of pigs. And that's worth some money. And even though many of these were Jewish people in the area, shouldn't be having pigs <laughs> and a herd of pigs, but they, God... Uh, cast those demons into those pigs, and they were uh, they went 
hurtling off of the edge, as we'll see here. Notice verse 32, they submitted to Christ's power. Number two, they submitted to Christ's power. And he said unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. One word, Jesus said, go. And so these demons, if they're not going to be able to hurt the man, they want to hurt the money. So they say, let's destroy these pigs. One last throw. The devil's last throw. And Jesus came up there and he said, go. (laughs) I love that. Just one word. Sometimes I've seen some of these so-called deliverance ministers, you know, and they'll be parading around on TV and they're, you know, casting out demons and boy, it's a big rigmarole, you know, and there's all kinds of, you know, stuff going on, folks. It doesn't take all that. It just takes one word, go, go. And as I said at the beginning of the message, I'm convinced that the greatest way to get rid of a demon is just obey, just obey scripture, go, get out of here. And uh, I've, I've even seen evangelical pastors, you know, give out a, a special prayer against the devil. Now, folks, we don't need a special prayer against the devil. We don't need some little incantation like, this is what gets rid of demons. Pray this prayer. Or this is how you get rid of demons in your child. This is how you get rid of demons in your finances. This is how you get rid of demons in your marriage. Folks, one word, go, <laughs> just go, get out of here get out of here. Just like, whew, like that. That stupid flicker was out there pecking on my, my, uh, uh, on my, uh, top of my house over there this week and, uh, making me mad. I was trying to study and Abby was trying to sleep. And so I just walk out the door there and, and that flicker went flying away, grinning, you know, and, uh, I looked at him and said, I'm going to get you one of these days. And, uh, but now I know some people have really been upset at this story. The PETA people, you know, oh, I cannot believe that Jesus would kill a thousand precious pigs and, uh, put, and, let all, and send all these demons, poor pigs, demon-possessed pigs out there floating around, dead out there in the water, and uh, little hog buoys, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, there they were just kind of floating around, you know. I mean, that's terrible. I cannot believe such a thing. And, and some liberal folks will say, oh, that's a terrible thing. Well, you know, funny thing, they, they're the same ones that have eaten a ham sandwich saying, that's just terrible. You know, I cannot believe. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That was the best luau that a big old bunch of people ever had. They went out there and grabbed those pigs out there, those dead pigs, and put them on their shoulder, took them on home, and said, honey, look, I got me a dead pig. Let's have a luau tonight. And because uh, Jesus did that, folks, one word, and he took care of those pigs. I'll tell you one thing. God is over all that. They are incredible, but God takes care of them. He moves in their life. One word. I remember my dad used to tell me, I don't know why he would tell me, I really even know the setting of it, but uh, he did say this, if you ever want anybody's attention, you just say, hey, because he said the very natural uh, hey is, it just comes out of your mouth with just all that, you know, all that energy and that, all that, uh, you know, all that air out of your lungs, hey, you know, and I've Notice over the years, you just, that's the best. And that's why I was thinking there this morning when we were singing that one sign, oh, for a thousand, you know, you notice how we said that? Oh, one word, hey. But, and then I noticed recently that Apple, the company Apple, they figured that out. 
You just talk to your personal assistant, Siri. Hey! And she listens to you. Hey! That's all you got to do, folks. You don't have to have some big, long thing. If you want that devil out of here, just say, Him! Him out of here. Get out of my family and get out of my life and get out of my finances. Him! So people say, I'm not going to church. Fine, I'm going to church. Him! I'm going to read my Bible. Him! I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do right. That's how you do it. You just get rid of the devil. I'm having a lot of fun here today. The miserable. I love chasing the devil. I do. I just love it. Number three, the irresistible condition of the victor. Whoa. You can't resist the victor. And Jesus is the victor. Verse 33, and they that kept him fled, ran to their cities told everything that was befallen possessed of the devils. And when they, say all, when they saw those pigs, I'm telling you what, those people ran. The pigs ran, but the people ran too. When all their pigs were running off, jumping off the cliff, committing pig suicide, they went and ran back to their home said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. People said, what are you guys running? He said, Whoa, I mean to tell you, it's crazy out there. They said, what's going on? They said, I'm just telling you now, if you read, uh, if you read this whole story, it says they, they came and they said, get out of here, Jesus. We don't want you in our area. And if you read the commentaries, they make it seem like that they were upset because they had a lot big financial loss. I'm sure that was probably part of it. But when you read the other passages, it says they were afraid. And in this passage, notice what it says. Notice what it says they were concerned about. And they told everything what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. It doesn't say they were upset at the pigs. It says they were telling everybody about those demon-possessed men that got delivered. That's what they were concerned. That's what shook them down to their core. They're saying, you remember those guys out there that crazy guys, half-naked guys that were running down the hill and wouldn't let, let anybody come by, those violent people. You remember those two guys? They are sitting there clothed and in their right mind, the other passages say in, in the Gospels. And I mean to tell you, Jesus, what, what took place, as I said at the beginning, he was displaying the fact that we have dominion over demons. What is God trying to teach us in all this? He's trying to remind us that the devils and the demons are no match for Jesus. They're no match for the omnipotence of God. They cannot have, they in no way, shape, or form. You'd say, well, what's going on in this whole story? I'm reminding us that Satan is trying to do what he can to overcome us. But thank God he can't. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, those demons, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. Greater. Greater. Say that with me, please. Greater. Greater. Now, a lot of times we feel like, oh, I can't, oh, I just can't withstand. Yes, we can. Because greater is he that's in me. And he that's in the world. I, I cannot change someone's will. I cannot change, make somebody do something. 
But I do know that the God in me is greater than the demon that is influencing that person. And so because of that, I just can pray with authority and with power that God is going to just work on that person. And I will tell you, that person is in a heap of trouble because God is greater than that demon. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, if you believe, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. And that's why Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power, by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. God spoke the world into existence. And when he spoke the worlds, the universe into existence, the Bible says that this world, this great expanse has more than a hundred billion galaxies. We have the Milky Way. There's a hundred billion more Milky Ways, all in one word. He spoke the world. That's why the devil has no power. David wrote this in Psalm 8 and verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, your power, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Folks, no matter what we might be facing, God can help. No need is too great for him and no problem is too complicated. I love what Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, now unto him that is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in God? No, that works in us because of God. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 3, Moses was trying to remind the people. He said unto the people, remember this day in which he came from out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. And so the reminder this morning is, is that yes, demons are powerful, but they're not all powerful. Yes, the devil is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Yes, the fact is, by God's help with his power, the power that's in me, I can have power over every demon. I can have power over temptation. I can have power over bitterness. I can have power over all the things that are coming about me. We can have power. We always win when you submit to God. I read a story this week that I want to read to you. It's a, it's a little long, but I want you to just uh, try, to, try to hang here with me and listen closely because the end of it's very powerful. Once there was a very wealthy young man who lived in a great elaborate house with dozens of rooms. Each room was more comfortable and more beautiful than the one before it. One day he decided to invite the Lord to come and to stay with him. When the Lord arrived, this young man offered him the very best room in the house. The room was upstairs and at the end of the hall. This room is yours, Jesus. Stay as long as you like and you can do whatever you want in the room. Jesus, just remember, this room is all yours. Thank you, the Lord replied. And with that, the man shut the door and went about his business. That evening, he had retired for the night. There came a loud knocking at the front door. The young man pulled on his robe, made his way downstairs. And when he opened the door, he found that the devil had sent three of his demons to attack the man. He quickly tried to close the door, but one of the demons kept sticking his foot in the door. Sometime later, after a great struggle, he managed to slam the door and shut and return to his room totally exhausted. To himself, he said, can you believe that? I mean, Jesus is upstairs, and he's in the very best room in the house, and I'm down here battling demons. 
Oh, uh, well, he tried to think the best. Maybe he just didn't hear. The young man slept fitfully that night. The next day, things went along as normal. Being tired as he was, the young man retired early for the evening. Along about midnight, again, as always, those demons showed up. And there was such a terrible ruckus at the front door that the young man was sure that whatever would tear the door down. And he stumbled down the stairs. And there again, this time, were dozens of demons trying to get into his beautiful home. For more than three hours, he fought those demons from hell and finally overcame them enough to shut the door against their attack. All of his energy gone, he sat down and said, I really don't understand this. Why won't the Lord come to my rescue? Why does he allow me to fight this all by myself? I feel so alone, troubled. He found his way to the sofa, fell asleep. Next morning, he decided, I'm just going to go ask Jesus. And so he went up to the quietly to the door, made his way to the elegant bedroom, knocked on the door and said, Jesus, Jesus, um, yes, Lord, I, I really don't understand. The last two nights I've had to fight the demons away from my door and you were sleeping. I mean, honestly, don't you care about me? Don't, I gave you the very best room in the house. He saw the tears building in Jesus's eyes. But he continued on. I really don't understand why you would do that. I really felt like that once I invited you to live with me and you would take care of me and I gave you the best room of my house and what more could I do? Son, Jesus spoke softly. I do love you, care for you very much. And I will protect all that you've released to my care. But when you invited me to your home, you made it quite clear that this room was my only room, and you shut the door to the rest of the house. And it's true, I'm Lord of this house, or this room, but I'm not the master of the house, and I have protected this room. No demons here. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. Take all of my house. It is yours. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean, I, I want you to have control of everything. And with that, he went to every room and flung open every door in the house. And fell at Jesus' feet. Forgive me for being so selfish. I give you every room in my house. And about midnight, the banging on the door came again. And it, this time, it was absolutely horrendous. The young man slipped out of his room just in time to see Jesus answered the door. He opened the door and Satan stood there demanding to be let in. What do you want, Satan? The Lord asked. The devil bowed low in the presence of the Lord. Oh, so sorry, Jesus. It seems we have gotten the wrong address. <laughs> I got the wrong address. And folks, when we give our heart to Christ and we give him every part, the devil can't find a way in there because he has the wrong address. Does he have all of your heart? That's the way to fight that devil. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.